It is Wednesday, October 18th, 2023. I'm Chip Stewart. This is the Worthy Is He podcast, and, and welcome back to it. Before I get started today, I want to share with you the email address that you can contact me at. It's worthyishepodcast at gmail.com, and the Worthy Is He podcast portion of that email address is all separated by periods. So feel free to reach out to me, and, and um, I appreciate words of encouragement. If you have questions, if you're asking for the scriptures that I use, um, then please email me. I normally include the scriptures in the show notes. Uh, so if they're not there or they're not there in enough detail for you, just uh, just let me know. Shoot me a, an email. And uh, I've started passing out cards that have my podcast on them. On the back side, there's QR codes. And if you happen to receive one of them and are now joining us for the first time, well, welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us here. And uh, I encourage you, once you've got it, pass it on. Uh, pass this podcast on to others if you find it to be beneficial, if you find it to be valuable, worthwhile, and honoring of our Lord. Please tell others about it and pass on pass on that card. And uh, and. You know, if you uh, if you see me on a regular basis and you want a bunch of cards to pass out to folks, and just just let me know, and uh, I'll give you a stack of them um, to pass out because I believe that people need to hear um, the truth about what our Lord says, um, especially when it comes to how we be obedient uh, to Him. And if you are joining us for the first time, or if you know you've only been listening for a little while, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes that I've recorded this year. The podcast just started in January. Examples would be episodes 24 and 25, which address freedom in Christ. And in these episodes, I lay out what are we free from when we're in Christ, but also what we're not free from or free to do. So I want to make that distinction because you know I hear a lot of songs about freedom in Christ and this, and it's almost like you know you can run around willy nilly and do whatever you want. Well, that's not true. So I try to lay that out for you in episodes 24 and 25, and I also recommend episode 8 to you, which is entitled "Thou Shall Be Entertained." And in this episode, I discuss how entertainment in general is a mouthpiece of the world system. I don't think we really realize that. It's a mouthpiece of the world system, and it seeks to teach us its ways, the ways of the world system. It makes us believe the wrong things, especially when when put up against the truth of God and His Word, and it targets our vulnerabilities, which can lead to us sinning. It can lead to sin. So I, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to episodes 8, 24, and, uh, and 25. So in this episode, I'm going to be continuing with the Sermon on the Mount. So this will be the second episode in the series. And the first episode covered the first beatitude, with which was, Blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. This one is going to be the next statement that Jesus makes in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Uh, with that being said, let's continue on with the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, looking at Matthew and Luke. So I'm going to start out with Matthew chapter 5, reading the first four verses, and then continue on in Luke chapter 6, and I'll read the entire portion because there's two separate um, verses in there that, that are linked together, and I'm going to read through the whole thing. So the portion in Matthew, the first four verses in chapter five, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Then when we turn to Luke, 
starting in verse 20 in chapter 6. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So linking together verse 21 and 25, where it says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh, and woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. What I want to do is I want to take a look at the scriptures and see uh, where this is coming from, how God describes mourning throughout the scriptures. Um, but first, let's go back and define blessed. So the, the definition that we're working with for blessed is enjoying the spiritual happiness and favor of God. So enjoying spiritual happiness and the favor of God. That's from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. And then mourn. Let's take a look at the definition of the word mourn. To express grief or sorrow. To grieve, to be sorrowful. Mourning may be expressed by weeping or audible sounds or by sob, sighs, or inward silent grief. That's also from Webster's 1828. So the question is, or the first question I like to pose, so mourn or be sorrowful or weep about what? I think that is probably the key question here in the first part. It's like, blessed are those who mourn, but mourn about what? So in my review of the scriptures, this is what I have come out as... Um, concluding that this is what it's talking about. And I think there's several things that we, uh, we mourn about in this life. Uh, one of them is our sin against a holy God. Uh, another would be our disobedience to God and His commands, our faithlessness, very, very similar to our sin against a holy God. It's in, in our disobedience to Him and His commands. So probably one of the same thing. Um, sin in the body of Christ, I think, would be one thing that we should be mourning about the consequences and impact of our sin, realizing what we have done. We're mourning over that. Mourning over this broken world and wickedness in it. And also the wrath of God that is coming upon the earth because of this. And it's not that, that sort of mourning that, that unbelievers have where they're, they're finally been found out and they're going to be punished. This is just a sadness over the state of the world and that God has to mete out his wrath on it to, to fix the problem, to punish the, uh, the wickedness that's here. He's, he's absolutely righteous and just to do that. But I think it leads us to mourning to see this brokenness and this wickedness and that it requires God to intervene in such a way. But not yet. Not yet. That is coming. We should also mourn over the suffering of others. Um, mourn because of the oppression of our enemies. And the most the, the key thing here, I think, with mourning is we are mourning, especially when it's over our own sin, it's a mourning leading to repentance. I, I think that is what God is looking for. And, and the primary example that I want to share with you is found in Luke chapter 7. 
And uh, it starts in verse 36. This is, this is the woman who comes to Jesus mourning because of her sins. I believe she's a prostitute. Um, she's a sinner. And she comes to him mourning. And it, it really, when you, when you read what the scriptures say, it's a mourning leading to repentance. She's repenting of her sins to Jesus Christ, whom she knows um, can save her. So let me read this passage. So again, this is Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, going through verse 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So in this passage, we have the two main characters, the Pharisee and the woman who came in, and of course, Jesus. The Pharisee, I think when we look at him, did not love Jesus. He did not give water for his feet. He gave him no kiss. He did not anoint his head with oil. And I believe this is because he didn't realize the abundance of his sin and his need for Jesus, the Savior. So he saw no need for forgiveness and was forgiven little. He loved Jesus little, and he was forgiven little, if at all. Because he saw no need for forgiveness. He probably was self-righteous. On the other hand, we have this woman who openly acknowledged and wept because of her sin. And she wet Christ's feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, kissed his feet and anointed his feet with oil. She knew the abundance of her sin, so therefore loved Jesus much because she knew that through him she was forgiven of those sins. So blessed are those who mourn, mourn over their sins. This woman was blessed by God because she mourned over her sin. And it's a mourning leading to repentance. She was truly saddened, mourning over the sin of her life. So the next question I want to ask is, when did our Lord weep? And what we're told in the scriptures, I've, I've come away with three examples. I don't think there's any others, but I could be wrong. Uh, but we uh, first turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, and this, is, this describes that Jesus wept while he walked with us. And I think in context, 
it appears in response to his sufferings. So Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 7, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he, he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. This is why I'm, I'm believing he's, he's weeping in, in response to his suffering. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The, uh, the second example, he wept over the death of Lazarus. John chapter 11, starting in verse 32, ending in verse 37. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So in this context, it seems that Jesus is probably weeping over this broken world, the sin that's in this world that leads to death. Because once sin entered the world, death entered with it. And that was because of the sin of Adam, um, our forefather, our representative at, from, the, uh, from the beginning of creation. So here we see Jesus weeping. And, and as I read this, I believe it is over the fallenness of creation and the wickedness in the world. The third example um, is found in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 41. He wept over God's coming judgment of Jerusalem in this passage because of the rejection of him as the Messiah. So again, Luke 19, starting in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So he's weeping over the city of Jerusalem because God is going to judge it because they rejected their Messiah. He's weeping over that. Now let's turn to some other scriptures and how mourning is addressed. Let's go to Job, chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 8. And this describes how God blesses those who are lowly and those who mourn. As for me, I would see God, and to God would I commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. So it sounds here like God is blessing those who mourn by lifting them to safety. Then in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, this describes how mourning and sorrow is better than laughter and mirth. And mirth being, I had to look it up, I, I did not know <laughs> what mirth exactly meant. So uh, mirth is social merriment, hilarity, high excitement of pleasurable feelings in company. So hilarity, just merriment. Okay, so here it says, um, Solomon says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. 
Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So contrasting here, mourning and mirth, social merriment, hilarity. Blessed are those who mourn. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 12, starting in verse 1, talking about the land mourns over the evil that's in it. So we are mourning over the evil around us, the evil in ourselves, the evil in the people around us, and, and what is going on. So starting in verse 1, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? You plant them and they take root, they grow and produce fruit. You are near in their mouth and far from their heart. But you, O Lord, know me. You see me and test my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the grass of every field wither? For the evil of those who dwell in it and the beasts and the birds are swept away because they said he will not see our latter end. How long will the land mourn? Because of the wicked in it. Hosea uh, says something similar in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, where the land mourns because there's no faithfulness, no steadfast love, no knowledge of God in the land. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. The land mourns because of this evil in it. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 12, talks about mourning leading to repentance. This is the expectation of God. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, when with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. If you are hearing my voice and you are not saved, you have not repented of your sins and, and asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then do that now. This is what God wants from you, and he will honor it. And he will relent over the disaster that is planned for you. Because if you do not repent and accept Jesus Christ as Lord, you're going to end up under judgment, under the wrath of God for all eternity in the, in the eternal lake of fire. I beg you to repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'll read, I want to read this again from Joel chapter 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Let's now turn to Zechariah chapter 12. When it talks about how the Israelites will mourn over him who they have pierced, which is Jesus. And they're mourning over what they have done. And I will pour out, this is, sorry, this is um, 
chapter 12, starting in verse 10, and it goes to chapter 13, verse 1. So 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Ramon in the, in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself and their wives by themselves. They shall mourn for him, and the land shall mourn because of what they have done. Look on him who they have pierced. Now let's go to Ezra, chapter 10, verse 6, where Ezra mourned over the faithlessness of the exiles who married foreign women in violation of the Lord's command for Israel. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehoanan and the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night, neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. Blessed are those who mourn. He's mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And then we also have Nehemiah's prayer in mourning over the sin of Israel. So... Clearly, Nehemiah and Ezra are linked. So Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse, uh, actually starting in verse 1, um, we're gonna, he's going to pray for the sin of Israel. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah wept and mourned for days, and he confessed the sins of the people of Israel. He's mourning over the, the results, the impact of their sin, and how Jerusalem had been destroyed, how they had been scattered, 
and he was praying to God to forgive them of this sin. So mourning over our sin as well is seen here. And, and God desires us to repent, to mourn over our sin and repent and confess those sins to him. There's another time when people mourn, but I believe this might be a little bit different. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 29. This is mourning uh, during the coming of the Son of Man, when the tribes of the earth will mourn. But as I look at it, they're mourning over their doom. They're not mourning to repentance. They are not turning away from their sin, confessing their sin. It's too late for them. And they're mourning that their doom has come. Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So this doesn't appear to me to be mourning to repentance. It's mourning that the gig's up, time's up, and the Lord has returned, and he's going to come with justice in his righteousness and glory. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This, this is the proper response of mourning over sin in the body of Christ. So Paul says here in his letter to the Corinthians, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So he's saying the proper response is to mourn over the sin within the body of Christ and deal with it properly. What he says here is they're arrogant while this is happening, but the expectation is to mourn and confess and and repent of the sin um, that's in the body of Christ and to deal with it as Jesus taught us to deal with it. So you can also go to the book of Lamentations, and there the prophet Jeremiah mourns over the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, And and also uh, there's another another time of mourning, and this, another type, it's mourning because of the oppression of our enemies. But here it's saying, instead of mourning, we should uh, rather rejoice and be glad. But there will be mourning because of the oppression of our enemies. Psalm 42, starting in verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then you have Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation 
and my God. And just as a reminder, we have enemies because we belong to Christ. And continuing further down the Beatitudes, which I, I've addressed in we, need, we Must Love Our Enemies, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, so that I wanted to take that section and I wanted to see how the scriptures talk about mourning. And it seems that overall it's a mourning about sin, wickedness, and, and the Lord expecting us to mourn over our own sin and repent and turn back to him, confess those sins. So that's why blessed are those who mourn. That's what God expects. So in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 25, it said, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So what is wrong with laughing? I just thought that was an interesting question because is, is laughing really, you know, does God really not want us to laugh? I, I don't think that's the case. I think it's what they're laughing about. So uh, turn to James chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 10. And it talks about laughter and joy here in a negative sense, but I think it's in context of friendship with the world and the friendship with the world that results in the laughter and the joy. So starting verse 1 of chapter 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with, within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So from this laughter, this hilarity, this mirth perhaps of this, this sinful behavior, this fleshly behavior, this love of the world and the love of the world system, he is saying that they need to repent of this. They need to mourn over their sins and weep over their sins. Their laughter, this hilarity, this mirth needs to be turned to mourning and to gloom so that they humble themselves before the Lord and he will exalt them. For that morning, they will be blessed. He will exalt them. That morning that leads to repentance. So the next question I have is, well, did Jesus laugh? <laughs> we don't know. Um, the scriptures are silent on that point, and I'm not going to speculate either way. Um, but the scriptures don't find it necessary to say one way or the other. So let's take a look how laughing is addressed in, uh, in some of the other scriptures that are out there. And I think with the laughing that I'm going to be showing here, it, it's dealing with people who are completely oblivious to their sinful state before God. They don't take it seriously. And it's also those who laugh at God, who mock him. 
Um, I looked up the word being used, and the King James, when it talks about the laughing, it's laughed thee to scorn, which is mocking, mocking someone, such as mocking God or mocking Christ. Um, Psalm 22, verses 6 through 8, uh, the, a psalm about, about um, Jesus and his sufferings, starting verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So all who see me mock me. That mock, there's laugh thee to scorn. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 24, Mark 5, 40, and Luke chapter 8, uh, starting verse 40, all tell of Jesus being laughed at, and I'm thinking here probably mocked, when he declared that the daughter of a ruler um, who was, uh, the daughter of a ruler who they thought was dead was not dead but sleeping. So let me read to you the section from Luke um, chapter 8, starting in verse 40. I'm going to skip over there's going to be a little gap in here. I'll tell you when it is. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Now, skipping down to verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise, and her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them not to tell. He, to, he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So that, and they laughed at him. It can be translated derided or laughed to scorn here. So I think this is the kind of laughter also that is thought of as negatively uh, in in the scriptures. You know, so woe to you who laugh now, those who laugh thee to scorn. So we've talked about blessed are those who mourn. Then it says, for they shall be comforted. Well, they shall be comforted, well, by who? Well, by Jesus. He will be the one who will comfort us. He'll be the one to comfort those who mourn. He is because he, he is our living hope, because he forgives us our sins. Because he's coming back to rule and reign, he will wipe away every tear, and vengeance is his. He will repay. So in Isaiah chapter 61, this is the, the section that Jesus read in the synagogue, and he stopped at, um, at one of the verses. It talks here about Jesus, God's anointed, will comfort us. It says here, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. We've already talked about that in a previous episode on Blessed Are the Poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's when he stopped. But continuing on, And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So he will be the one to comfort those who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, 
and Ashes here is a sign of repentance and mourning. Um, you can take a look at Nineveh's reaction to Jonah's preaching in the book of Jonah. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So I don't believe this part has happened yet. There will be Jesus who comforts those who mourn. And if we turn to Revelation uh, in chapter 7, starting in verse 9, it talks about Jesus will wipe away all our tears and be our shepherd. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They shall be comforted by God. We're also comforted because, back to what I was saying before, we are mourning over our sin is one of the things we mourn about. Well, we have the assurance that our sins are forgiven. He comforts us. You know, we are mourning about our sins, but we are comforted because we have the assurance that our sins are forgiven and paid for through him, through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Uh, just one brief verse here, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Blessed are those who mourn about their sin, for they shall be comforted. Their sins shall be forgiven. Jesus will have vengeance on our enemies and return to rule and reign. So this is also comforting because we mourn over the oppression of our enemies. We mourn over the wickedness around us. Why do the wicked prosper? Something that we mourn about. Well, we're comforted because Jesus, God, will have his vengeance on our enemies and return to rule and reign in righteousness. Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they, 
Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So the saints here crying out for vengeance. When will our blood be avenged? And they were told to wait a little while longer. Then if we look forward, if we look ahead to Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 11, here it comes. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yes, indeed, he is coming back. He will have vengeance on his enemies, and he will rule and reign in righteousness. He repeatedly tells us throughout Scripture that vengeance is his, and he will repay. And this is comforting for us who mourn about the sin, the wickedness around us, and being oppressed by our enemies. Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting in verse 34. Is, it not, is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense. For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamities at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens, bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Vengeance is his. So, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we are blessed if we mourn over our own sin against the holy God, our disobedience to God and his commands, the effects of, the, of sin, our sin, the sin around us. If we mourn over sin in the body of Christ, sin, if we mourn over sin in the world, the wickedness of man, we mourn over the sufferings of others. We mourn because of the oppression of our enemies. And then most critically, if we mourn, and it's a mourning leading to repentance, repentance of the sin. We mourn over that sin and repent of it. And we shall be comforted by Christ himself. He has washed away our sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord Jesus Christ will establish his righteous rule and reign on the earth when he returns. He shall have vengeance upon our enemies. He will be our shepherd and guide us to springs of living water. He will wipe away our tears. He will give us oil of gladness and garments of praise. All of this to his glory.
But I think at this moment, we need to ask ourselves, do we, do we, do we mourn over our own sin and seek to keep a short ledger with our Lord? When we find out that we've sinned, to confess it, to mourn over it and confess it to him so that he can forgive us that sin. Do we mourn over the sin and brokenness of this world? Do we mourn over the sufferings of others? Or on the other hand, are we indifferent to all of this, even laughing at sin, living in the house of mirth, being entertained by the wickedness of the world? So which, which one are we living in? Are we mourning sin or are we being entertained by sin? And if we're not mourning because of the sin in our own lives and, the, and, and what we see around us in this world, then I think we need to check ourselves. We need to do a little bit of self-examination to see, see where we are with our Lord. Because he does tell us, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he's talking about primarily mourning over sin, our own, and the wickedness in this world. He shall comfort us. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised. May he bless you with a hearing of what I've shared with you today. May he bless you with you and your family. And may he bring peace. Amen.